And if you have your Bibles, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This will be our 11th sermon on the Sermon on the Mount and our last one. Maybe. I don't know what Pastor Jim's going to do next week. He might come with something else. I don't know. But uh, for the past 10 weeks, what we have been doing, I just want to give you a context of what is happening here, just to remind us again, because we are, uh, we are 10 weeks into it, and, um, or 11 weeks today. But what Jesus had been doing, he had been going through the land, and he had been healing people, restoring people, casting out demons, and he gathered around himself uh, a crowd. The crowd was interested in what Jesus was doing. And at, one po- at this point, we begin in Matthew chapter 7, or sorry, Matthew chapter 5, where it says that Jesus, in a sense, Luke says he took a break. Jesus took a break, and this is how he took his break. He took his break, he sat on the mountain, and then people came, his disciples came to him, and then all the people came to him. So, and what he did was, he then began to teach them. What I want you to know is that Jesus is not just about teaching. He's about restoring people, and he restores people by the power of the Holy Spirit in kingdom power and kingdom authority, by bringing restoration and bringing healing. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus does, and therefore people gather around him. He's not just uh, a great orator. He's not just a great teacher. He's a great miracle worker. And this is exactly what drew people unto himself. But what I also love about Jesus is that he's not about, you know, the flashy stuff. Be healed. Get up. Lay man. You know, start walking because your leg was jacked up. And now I healed it. He's not just about that. He's also about instilling in his people the values of the kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount is very much that. That not only are we a supernatural people, but we are a people of wisdom, a people of truth, a people who who believe something and entrust ourselves to someone. And so Jesus then brings us to this point. And I don't know about you, but no, no teacher ever teaches without expecting something to land. Right? I mean... That's why you have all those dreaded quizzes, the pop quizzes that we went through in our lives. Some of us are like, I'm glad that's over. Uh, the stress and the anxiety of quizzes and, and, uh, and things like that. But what Jesus uh, brought his people to at this point, after explaining to them how to live the blessed life, after drawing their attention to the motives of their heart, after elevating and raising the standard before them, he brought them to a place of response. Because no teacher ever wants to just say stuff What the teacher desires is for this stuff that he's saying is to impact your life and to change it. And so Jesus does this by teaching a parable. And so the question that we we have is, all right, for the past 10 weeks, Jesus has taught us. What now? What do we do with what Jesus has taught us? And he he explains this in the parable uh, that that we 
No, I think it's pretty much well known among the church. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 29. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So this parable, as we see it, is about the nature of the word of Jesus, the response to his word, and the response to the word of Jesus summarizes your character, the kind of person that you are. It's the nature about the nature of his word, response to his word, and the summary of your character, as we'll see later on. So what about the nature of the words? The reason why I highlight these is because Jesus himself brings attention. He says that everyone then who hears these words of mine. See, there's similarity in this, in, in this scene that we are in. The people had been listening to Jesus. They have been drawn to Jesus. And so the similarity is that everyone who's there is hearing his words. The measure that they're using or the, the receptivity is, is where they differ. So, but the similarities are they hear the word and everyone is going to respond to the words of Jesus. That's similar. Everyone hears and everyone will respond to the words of Jesus. What I love about this is that I, as I was uh, reading, I got this nice uh, NIV Cultural Background Study Bible, recommended by Pastor Jim. This is what, what uh, they highlighted when it came to that. It says that some other Jewish teachers told a similar parable. So this parable that we just read is something that other teachers uh, shared. It wasn't just a Jesus thing. It was uh, a well-known parable. But there was a major difference. In their story, the foundational rock in their parables was the Torah, God's law. Here, Jesus' teaching holds the same role as God's message in the traditional parable. So what Jesus is asserting here when he says, if those, everyone who hears these words of mine, he's putting his words as the most foundational place that you and I could live our lives in. And for those who are listening, it's like, all right, you're, you're a dude that just came from Galilee. Who, who do you think you are? This is a big, big deal. Because this also shows why people might respond the way they might respond to the words of Jesus. They might not think that it's valuable enough. They might not think that he's trustworthy enough to listen to. Right? But Jesus asserts that his word is the foundation on which um, a person can stand, responds to his word. How could he do that? How could he assert that it's his word being the most foundational thing? How could he do that? Well, one, I, I'd like, I always like to appeal to God's character. 
I want to lead you down a succession of my thoughts of how Jesus could do this kind of thing. One, God is truthful. This is what his word says. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is not a man that he should lie. We should know that God is truthful. Also, in Psalm 18, verse 30, it says, This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. So I begin with the character of God as a God who will not tell a lie and a God who is always, always speaking the truth. So Jesus could then assert that. So God is truthful. Following my train of thought first, God is truthful. And what we understand from Scripture is that Jesus is from God, Jesus is God, and therefore Jesus speaks the truths of God. So when Jesus comes into the scene, there's testimony of Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. So this is why I say that Jesus is from God because he was with God in the beginning. Right. And the word was God. Jesus is not just with God. Jesus is God. He says of himself in John chapter eight, verse 26. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So Jesus speaks what is truth as Jesus, who is, who is from God and is God, speaks the truth of God. In John chapter 12, verses 49 through 50, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So in this parable, the foundational rock on which to build, that is the word of Jesus. That's the place to stand. And your response and my response to Jesus' words shows forth, therefore, our character, displays what kind of character, how, will you, how we will be characterized. The, par the parable highlights two responses. It says that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. So there's a person who does the words of Jesus. And then there's a person in verse 26 that does not do the word of Jesus. There's only two responses to the word of Jesus. There's no indifference. There's no lack. To not make a choice in this matter is to make a choice. You either do what he says or you don't do what he says. And that shows forth what kind of person you are. So Jesus, who is from God, speaks the truth of God, brings them to a point where they have to respond to his words. Are they going to personify wisdom? Are they going to be the wise man? Because doing Jesus' word, he says, is like building a house on an immovable foundation. I like what Luke chapter 6 verse 48 says. It says that the, the wise man, he dug deep and he laid a foundation. 
So he didn't settle, if you picture a landscape, he didn't settle for building it on top of the dirt. Because as you know and I know, dirt is easily moved by water when it comes. You get mudslides, you get uh, water or water erosion when it comes to soil is, is swift. All it has to do is come fast and strong and it changes the whole landscape of the, of, of the land because soil is easily moved. So the wise man digs down deep and lays a foundation. When, when Jesus uses the word wise man, that word is not what we call like the know-how kind of wisdom. It's not the skill, in a sense, kind of wisdom, the know what to do. It's actually the word for wisdom that, that leads us to be thoughtful, leads us to be discerning, leads us to, to be a person of good judgment or not, right? You take time with the things that had been spoken. And so I love what Jesus says because the tense that he uses in, in verse uh, 24, he says that everyone who does them will be like. So there's an opportunity to become something in responding to the words of Jesus. You will be like. So are you, if you spend your time to, to, to take in what all that Jesus had been saying, to then apply that to your life, to be thoughtful and discerning of whether it's, it's valuable to you or not. If you take that time and then you, you go and do what that word that you say is valuable and worth your time. If you do that, Jesus says that you will be a wise person. In contrast to that, in this parable... Jesus says that you and I, we have the opportunity to personify folly or to be a foolish person because he says to them, foolish man. And to be a foolish man is to be dull. Actually, the Greek word is moros, which we get the word moron from, right? You can be a moron. You have the opportunity to be dull, to not have understanding, Right? And all of this in response to Jesus' word. So, in a sense, what's happening here is that this person doesn't even give Jesus' words uh, any chance in their lives. This is the person that approaches and says, Oh, whatever. Whatever you say, I'm just, I don't got time to think about these deep things that you're talking about. I'm trying to live my life, I'm trying to do life, and you're just coming and interrupting my way of doing things. I'm just going to do me, Jesus. I was going to do me. But the thing is, is that when you shut everybody out, when you shut uh, voices of wisdom, you end up becoming a fool. So the person, this kind of person, the person who personifies wisdom is a, is a person who thinks about the words, discerns the words, has good judgment on it. In a sense, what, what Paul faced in the book of Acts when it came to preaching to the Bereans. What he did was he preached the gospel to them and they didn't just take his word at it, they went and searched it to see, does this really line up? Does what, he, what Paul says really line up? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Did he really, uh, was it really prophesied that the Messiah would die and that he would rise again from the dead? 
And so the Bereans, they themselves studied, they were thoughtful, they were um, exercising discernment, and they came to the conclusion that, yes, in fact, the Bible testifies that Jesus would die on the cross, that he would rise again, and he's worthy of my time and my allegiance. And many of them gave their lives to the Lord. I think in a day where we're looking for quick fixes, where we're looking for life hacks after life hack after life hack to make our life easy and flow as we want it, that it's difficult to take your time to stop, take your time, be thoughtful, and think. Because although we're in the day of we can access documentaries from all sorts of sources and Netflix and Hulu and Yulu, whatever you want to use. That doesn't, just because we're, we're being spoon-fed a barrage of themes, a barrage of messages, it doesn't mean that we know what we ought to know and that we are actually people of wisdom. So, one, just because you see a documentary doesn't make you an expert on the matter. Just want to put that out there. But just because you're seeing this and and it appeals often to your feelings. This is another thing, is that our culture really appeals to your feelings, what you feel. And the thing is, is that when you have a barrage of images coming through, what these images are often designed to do is to bypass your cognitive abilities. So you don't think about what you're watching and it goes directly to your feelings and all of a sudden the feelings become more real than what is actually true and what is not true. And so then you start formulating your life around feelings and, uh, and not around truth and not around uh, solid things that you should think about and discern. So what I'm calling you to is to discern. What Jesus is calling them to is to be thoughtful. He says, hey, you will be like the wise man if you take my word. If you don't, then you will be a foolish man. But at least he gives you the opportunity to become something. Be a person. I would encourage you to be a person who gives himself uh, to being thoughtful, to being discerning, and not being driven by your feelings and emotions, but by objective truth. And Jesus affords us that. So, I think it's important that we understand something. That God of his all and all of his wisdom, because God is infinite in his wisdom, there's nothing that God doesn't know. There's nothing that surprises God. There's nothing that God doesn't see. There's nothing that God doesn't see clearly and deeply. God sees everything. Everything is laid right before him. Of all the words to build your lives upon, of all the words to, to give your attention to, what the Lord is saying is give attention to what I have spoken. God is infinite in his wisdom. He is infinite in his understanding. And there are things in our world and in different philosophies, we've got to be careful with the philosophy of the world. Wisdom that originates from the earth is not heavenly minded. It's actually highly influenced by the devil. Read James, I forget what chapter, but he says that the wisdom, wisdom of God comes from heaven, but the wisdom of the earth comes from the devil. 
And so we need to be careful and understand that there are, there are powers and systems in place that are designed for you not to go where Jesus wants you to go. There are philosophies that you can believe, religions that you could believe, things that you could give yourself to that will lead you away from where Jesus is calling you to, to a place of wisdom, to a place that endures. The other, so everyone in this crowd gets to hear the words of Jesus. Everyone in this crowd gets to respond to the words of Jesus. And everyone in their response gets to personify either wisdom or foolishness. Notice that in the parable, another similarity is that both of these houses that are built on whatever foundation you choose. So I didn't speak about the, the foundation that the foolish man chooses. In fact, the foolish man just goes the easy route. Let me just build the house on the sand. Let me build it here. And what, what we see is that both houses get tested. In the parable that Jesus shares with us, both houses face the same storm. Both houses feels the rain that falls. Both houses feels the flood coming. And one remains, and the other one is in utter ruin and devastation. And I think I'm speaking to a lot of people who have done things the foolish way, where you have listened to the words or didn't have an opportunity to hear the words or know the words of Jesus or the message of the kingdom of God. And so you just went on your default route, uh, default program of doing things the way I want to do it. And every one of us, in one way, whether small or big, has experienced ruin or devastation. And what... As I look, I, coming from that place where I've made choices that brought ruin to my life and brought devastation, coming to the scriptures, I see, wow, if I had only knew this, if I had only listened to this, if I, even as a Christian, hearing the prodding of the Holy Spirit into righteousness and into good, and the, the way that, that is narrow and the way that is righteous, hearing the Holy Spirit's voice calling me to the path, still veering off and doing my own thing and feeling the devastation of that. Having the blessing of the Holy Spirit, uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit to lead me away from that. There, we experience, we are all in this walk and we're all uh, susceptible to foolishness or wisdom. And I, I just want to encourage you I want to encourage you to choose to choose wisdom over folly. And I, because we are a feeling type of people, I, trust is something that we want to feel. Trust is something that we want to establish. We don't ever give people an ear or the time of our day if we have some trust issue with it, right? So what I'm asking you to do this morning is to choose wisdom over folly. And I want to appeal to you that God is trustworthy. He's so trustworthy. One, as we established earlier, God is truthful. Jesus is the one who was sent from God. Jesus himself is God. And Jesus speaks the words of God which are true. So we can trust the one who is speaking. Who is he? He's the son of God. He speaks with certainty. 
He speaks with foresight. He speaks with infinite wisdom. And as the testimony we heard in verse 29, that he speaks with authority. And he speaks with truthfulness. So I'm going to go out there and say, me personally, I believe that Jesus is trustworthy. You can trust him. You can trust the one who is speaking. The other thing that I would call you to, because I don't want you to be dull and stupid and moronic. I want you to be wise. I want you to give thought to what Jesus has said. Take some time this week. Read that Sermon on the Mount from the beginning to this parable. Pray as you're reading. Listen to the voice of the Lord as you're reading. Look at what he's saying. Look at what he's calling you. And let that word judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. As the word of God does. Because God's word is active. It says it's active and living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And I love this last phrase. And it judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. Trust the one who is speaking. Give thought to what he has said. And the, the call then is to, when you give thought, a lot of times responding to what Jesus says requires repentance. Sorry. Every time yes. Jesus speaks. <laughs> and, and your life has not been in alignment with what he is speaking then there's called a repentance. And repentance is a change of mind. You change your mind about the value of what Jesus is saying. You change your mind about whether Jesus is trustworthy or not, right? You change your mind uh, whether you think that, you change your mind about whether your belief about the, the relevancy of what he's saying, right? Because I think that's another barrier that we have. We have the trust issue, but oftentimes, is he relevant? Like Jesus didn't live in 2019, yo. Does he know what life in the hood looks like? Absolutely. He lived in the hood. <laughs> it says that he, he, the word of God dwelt among us. And where Jesus is from, it's the hood. It wasn't an easy place to live and grow up. Does Jesus understand baby mama drama? Absolutely. He was born and the dad didn't want to do anything with him. He was about to roll out on the family because he thought she was sleeping around, right? Does Jesus have, yeah, he dealt with that. Does Jesus deal with homelessness? Yep. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus experienced that too. But in all of it, in all of the struggle that he went through, oh, does Jesus know what it's like to be betrayed? And Yeah, absolutely. He had his closest friend who had, a money, who had all everybody's money dipping in the bag, doing his own thing, and that dude ended up betraying him. Did Jesus know what it like, looks like to be backstabbed? Absolutely. He understands every, every struggle that we would face here on, on this earth, in the neighborhoods that we live in, in the city that we live in. Jesus understands and in everything, he is, I believe he's more relevant than we are. He's more relevant than all those documentaries that we give our attention to. 
and all of the philosophies of man. Because he, like I said, he comes with foresight, he comes with infinite wisdom, he comes with authority, and he comes with truthfulness. And he has your best interest in mind. That's beautiful. So trust the one who's speaking, give thought to what he has said, repent, and not just repent, align yourself with Jesus' immovable word. Matthew 24, verse 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. First Peter, Peter testifies, quoting Isaiah chapter 40, he says that the word of the Lord remains forever. So if there's anything that you and I can give our attention to, if we want to be people of wisdom, all we need to do is entrust ourselves to the word. The word is eternal. What God says will be fulfilled. What God says will come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie. The great thing also is that when you repent and you align yourselves with Jesus, some of us repent and ask Jesus to save us. Some of us have to start there. Repent of our sin. Jesus, you're the Savior. Save me. I call upon your name to save me. Some of us need to start there. That is all of our path to wisdom. But those who are saved and are walking, we then need to say, Jesus, live your life through me. Let your Holy Spirit overtake me every area of my life and let, me, let my thoughts be yours. Let the thoughts I think be Jesus' thoughts. Let the things I feel be Jesus' feelings. Let the responses that I, the way that I respond be Jesus, right? And so that's not some far off thing. It's something very possible in you and me because we have the spirit of Christ living inside of us. And so, though we have this struggle, whether we give in to the wisdom of God or to the foolishness of man, right, we have that struggle, we could always know that this word is not only trustworthy, but it's also tested. See, the reason I say it's tested is because God knows the end from the beginning. So that what you might see as an impossible, or what you might see as Man, the crossroads and, and things that, if I make this decision to follow Jesus, I don't know what that, the trickle effect will be in my life. What you can't see in the moment of decision, God already sees. And he's saying, come, it's worth it. Trust me. Follow me. I will lead you into the way everlasting. That's Jesus' desire for all of us, for everyone in the world. And so... But for us who are believers, we need to yield to the Holy Spirit because he's the provision from the Lord. This is what Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will do in John chapter 14, verse 26. He says that the Spirit will teach us all things and bring to our remembrance all that Jesus has said to us. So you may have a horrible memory. <laughs> How many of you have horrible memories where you look at it? I was like, I can't memorize this stuff. You don't have to. It's good to. It's good to meditate and hide the words of the Lord in your heart. And that comes with time as you, your life experience align with God's word. And powerful. There's scriptures that I memorize 
that I didn't know I memorized because I had a life experience that went along with that scripture, right? But all the while, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me who tells me, hey, this is righteous, this is not. I'm calling you in. I'm drawing you in to righteousness. The Holy Spirit will only lead us into truth. This is another thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do, is doing in our lives. He leads us into truth. The question is, are you willing to yield to the Spirit? And I think that's where we're all, we all face these decisions every day. So I like a statement. I like making this statement that I heard before, that the Christian life is a life of repentance. It's not just a once and done at the cross repentance. Where's the cross? Over there. The, at the cross repentance. Like I did that. No, it's an everyday thing. Anytime that the Holy Spirit reveals to you where your life is not in alignment with his will and his desires, that's an opportunity to repent. And repent and repent and repent. Does that mean that you are that day that you surrendered to the Lord Jesus, you're not saved? No, because what he does there is forever. Right? What he does there is forever. If it was a genuine calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus not to get a girlfriend or get this job, Jesus, save me. Can I get that job now? Right? If you're using Jesus to, uh, as leverage in your life, I would question your, what happened there at the cross. But if it was a genuine, man, I really am a sinner. I really deserve hell. But you are a really good savior. And I ask you to, call, to, to save me from my sin and give me your life, Jesus. If that was your response to the Lord Jesus at the cross, then there is that thing that I would call eternal security. Not I, a lot of people call it that. <laughs> you call it too. All right, good. But that doesn't mean that you don't have times where you have to keep short accounts with the Lord and repent of the sin because we're a work in progress. All of us, we're all a work in progress. None of us is perfect. None of us has reached that goal, right? We are being made holy. So the call is to yield to the Holy Spirit because He is the Lord's provision for you to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. He is God's provision to you. One, guaranteeing your inheritance, but also your provision for wisdom. It says in 2 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. Maybe 1 Corinthians chapter so, Spirit knows the mind of God, and He will reveal to you what, what, what the way of wisdom is and how to follow. But the, the question has always been, are you willing to surrender? So when He calls you to that moment, are you going to do what He says? Same thing. The Father calls us to respond to His Word. Jesus the Son calls us to respond to His Word. The Holy Spirit calls us to respond to His Word. God calls us to respond to His Word. And it happens that we know the end. Jesus reveals the end. 
The end is you apply his word, you build your house upon a foundation. When the times of testing come, you will endure. You will stand and endure that storm. But if you don't build your house in the wisdom and in the truth of the Lord, then you are going to be a battered. When the storm comes, you're going to be battered. You're going to be torn apart. You're going to be in utter ruin. And that is to your folly. You can only attribute that to your foolishness. In those times where we feel the devastation because we made a foolish choice, we will don't be so bold as to blame God for that. Because he brought you to the point of decision. And this is what you chose. Therefore, those are the consequences. But what we see is, none of us in this house of wisdom, as we're building this house, none of us are exempt from the battering. Uh, none of us are exempt from the flood. It's just a matter of whether our house will stand. Are we on a firm foundation? That's where we come to. So how do you choose the way of wisdom over folly? Well, like I said, you trust the one who is speaking to the point that you give thought to what he has said. And when you listen and give thought to what he has said, you repent and you align yourself with Jesus's immovable, immovable word. And the way that you endure is by constantly yielding to the spirits leading in your life. Essentially, what Jesus said in the, in the passage before that, when he talked about false discerning false prophets, he says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Why? Because you did not do the will of the Father. So, Jesus' words is the will of the Father. If you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then do the words of Jesus. Surrender your life to the words of Jesus. Surrender your, your, your trust and your will to him. Because he is capable and able to lead your life into everlasting. Amen? So where you are today, every, uh, we're going to move in. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into communion time. That's part of our response in worship today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless you, and I thank you that you sent your Son into this world and in sending your son into this world you told him what to tell us and in telling him what to tell us Lord you have revealed to us the way of, of life not only have you spoken but you've demonstrated the way of life you've called us to a place where we die with Christ and we can say with Paul the life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we understand today, Jesus, that your sacrifice was great. And we thank you that today we understand that the wisdom and the words that you, the words that you have spoken are wisdom. But we will not be wise people if we reject what you have spoken. We can be wise people if we accept. So Holy Spirit, we declare 
that this issue of relevancy, we tear that down in the name of Jesus. We tear the barrier down of distrust. We tear the barrier down, Lord, of many wounds and many hardships that have led us to be hard at heart and not, uh, not able to, to hear the word and have it penetrate our hearts. So what I'm asking for in this moment, Jesus, is that you would just cut through the scar tissue. So that we could respond to you and surrender rightly to you. And to entrust ourselves to the lover of our souls. So Lord, I ask for that this morning. And as we go to the table of the Lord, Lord, would you do miraculous things in our lives? I ask, Lord, even more for a move of your spirit in our lives that leads us into wisdom, that leads us into righteousness and leads us into truth. You are trustworthy, Jesus. And I bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen.